This is a piece by a guy named Larry Taunton. Larry who? Never heard of her. What sort of a man is he? Pick from Bama. A man like any other, but more so. Well, I thought he was dead. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Let's light this candle. So welcome to the Larry Alex Taunton Show. I am obviously not Amy Beth. My name is Matt Ruff, who normally just sits in the back and runs all the technical stuff, but Amy (laughs) Beth couldn't be with us. But you are Larry Taunton, and this is not our normal setup. We're not in studio. I'm at my house outside Nashville, and you're out of the country. So last I heard, (laughs) you were heading off to the mecca of the uh, secular humanists at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. So where are you now, Larry? Well, it's good to talk to you, Matt. And yes, let me just uh, let me just say to our listeners that I put Matt in a uh, our producer. I put him in a rather awkward position here because you know Amy Beth is not available, and uh, I suppose I could have just uh, you know recorded this myself. You know, done the way a lot of people do. You know, just look into their phones or just do a monologue. But I like to have a conversation. I think it's more interesting to an audience when there's an actual conversation. And, uh, and it's helpful because Matt can, you know, kind of, you know, he, he serves as a you know, representative of the listening audience. And so that's what we're doing here. And so, Matt, I appreciate you filling in. I am in Rome. And let me tell you a little bit about what I've been doing and why I'm here. First of all, um, you know, Americans need to understand that, that Europe, you know, by by North American standards, is quite compact. So it's it's pretty easy to get from one place to another in Europe once you're here. And so I decided I was going to have to be here for a while. And um, if I was going to have to be here, I was going to choose a place that's more southerly, thus a little little warmer, um, easy international airport to get in and out of, which which um, I have here place that's inspiring in terms of my writing, in terms of history, philosophy, and where I enjoy the people and I enjoy the food, and it's not insanely expensive. So that's why I am in Rome, Italy. It's just a couple-hour flight to um, to Warsaw, where I was, um, you know, maybe about five hours worth of train travel uh, to get to Davos. You can't really fly there. Uh, not easily unless you're a billionaire, you know, have your own private jet, which, of course, the people attending the World Economic Forum do, you know, have that. But not me. So I ended up taking I, I flew into Rome because it was going to take me a couple of flights, uh, excuse me, three flights just to get to Zurich. And I thought, boy, I don't want that. I'll just I'll just I'll just fly, take a direct flight from Atlanta to Rome and then uh, and take a train northward. So that's what I did. So uh, that's where I am, Matt, the producer. <laughs> well, you know, you, you say they can fly in. They actually can't fly into Davos. There's no really uh, large airport. They have to fly into, it's not Zurich, but it's someplace still farther off, and they have to take a helicopter down if they don't yeah, want well, to drive. It's, 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 it's very much, you know, near Davos, but... Yeah, they they fly into the bowl and then they you know they can't be bothered to drive and so they 
they then take a helicopter into Davos, where they can lecture us all about our carbon footprint. And uh, <laughs> it's just, this is who these people are. They they have rules for themselves. But let me let me tell you why I went to Davos. That is to say, why I went to the World Economic Forum. Seventy percent of what they do at the forum. That is to say, their main main sessions. And the World Economic Forum, you know, again, this is a this is a conference, like like a conference, in, in, except for the warped ideologies. Um, the conference is like any conference you might attend for your denomination or for your business. Uh, it's, it's a place where people come and network. There are people there trying to make uh, contacts with other people, people who are there trying to sell products, people there uh, to buy products. And then you have the presenters and, you, of course, the 50-plus the world leaders uh, who attended. And then you had – you know. Some, when I say 50 plus world leaders, I mean heads of states who were there, and you had uh, you know more than 600 uh, CEOs of major corporations who were there, more than 115 uh, billionaires, and then roughly 2,700 attendees. You know, people like me. Now, most of the main sessions, 70% of the main sessions, you can get online. And so I didn't really see much need for me to come to attend sessions. You know, you can, you can do that stuff, um, you know, other ways. I, I could stay in uh, Birmingham, Alabama and do that. Rather, what I wanted to do was to come and, uh, and get the experience that I could only get by coming to the forum and see the kind of people who are attending. Who are these people? Uh, what actually is going on on the ground? And so by and large, what I did when I went to the forum was I just planted myself, as I've done many other times in other places. Eric Metaxas says I'm a spy, but I just went and pretended to be a, a, a weffer. And by the way, that's what they say. They say they don't say the WEF, the World Economic Forum. They say WEF the WEF. So if you really want to be an insider, you know, it's your next soiree. When these issues come up, you just say WEF. You attended the WEF. So I pretended to be a WEFer. And I sat in a coffee shop with, you know, there really are no coffee shops in Davos. It's more like a, you know, more like a 7-Eleven with uh, some seating. And vastly, you know, insufficient seating. So you may be talking three or four tables in there, you know, um, several dozen people who are looking for a place to sit. So I planted myself in, in one of these seats and, um, you know, uh, invariably someone would say, Hey, you know, can I grab that chair? You know, there are four chairs sitting around the table. And I'd say, yeah, sure. And then I'd make conversation with these people, which is natural. And of course, assuming that I'm another weffer like them, they would speak quite openly um, about, their ideas um, about the reasons they were there, what they were up to. And I had a series of uh, fascinating conversations. Uh, okay, Larry, we've got you back. Uh, so what kind of conversations were you having with these strangers at the so-called coffee shop? <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, they all – people can't resist talking about themselves. I've I've often told – you know, my wife, Lori, who is, I, I wouldn't call Lori shy. I would say Lori's reserved. But sometimes when we go, you know, to parties or something, she will say, gosh, I'm not even sure what to talk about. And I always say, just ask them questions about themselves. 
people love to talk about themselves, and wefers are no different. And so I just simply asked questions, and of course, they're all dying to let you know how important they are, and their importance is is derived from their associations. They want to let you know, hey, I'm a I'm a translator for this president, or I'm a bodyguard for this prime minister, or I am a, uh, you know, an advisor for um, this CEO, you know, this kind of thing. And of course, what you're watching is, you know, these, this, this, these, uh, what do I want to call them? These motorcades of, you know, the big Mercedes and BMWs. I don't mean the little bitty ones. I mean the really, really expensive ones that are going, you know, that are crowding into Davos. Davos is small. Davos has a population of, I don't know, I think uh, maybe a little more than 10,000 people. It's a, it's a ski town. It's a ski town like you'd find throughout the Pyrenees, throughout Colorado. the Alps. Uh, the yeah. uh, in Colorado, yes. And uh, it's it's uh, that's what it is. It's a ski town. But this is where the World Economic Forum is based. And so, you know, it, it really is a strain on the, uh, you know, the resources, the the the, what do I want to say, the, the, the structures of that town insofar as it really, really isn't, isn't meant to handle, you know, a crowd like this. There's insufficient parking, hotel space, and so on. And speaking of the hotel space, see, a hotel room, those few hotel rooms that were, that were available, and when I say there were just a few, I mean that we're talking like Motel 6 quality at best. And yet it was still about $3,500 to $5,500 per night Ouch. to stay there. So we're, we're not talking about staying at, at a nice place where you're you know, like a resort and you're getting all the perks. No, it was because they knew they could do that. They could charge people that. And they knew that you know somebody who's desperate enough would pay for it. So I ended up staying about an hour away. Um, you know, taxi service, it costs you, you know, easily $500, you know, one way you know, for, for a taxi, uh, Switzerland's expensive, you know, so a burger is maybe 13 to $15, just a, just a cheeseburger. So Switzerland is a very expensive place, but I thought that I need to be here And the conversation as I was having that were fascinating. They were incredibly insightful. For instance, I'm sitting and talking to a guy who, you know, I said, Hey, just, just let me play devil's advocate. You know, do you buy into all of the, the WEF, you know, ideology. And he said, well, like what? And I said, well, well, for instance, like the need to reduce the global population from 8 billion to less than two. And he kind of gets a little bit of the smug look on his face, like he's about to explain to a child why the global population is straining the planet. And so he begins to explain to me, all in very nice terms, by the way, why we have exceeded the Earth's so-called carrying capacity. Of course, what none of them really want to tell you is how they plan to reduce the population. So it's like you're listening to someone explaining to you, you somewhat patronizingly, why Jews are a problem and we need to get rid of them. Yeah, this is this is what the conversations are like, or and uh, and it's all about saving the planet. It's not about you know. Ending world hunger. You, you, the way I would make a simple distinction between the way World Economic Forum types 
And um, and you you quite rightly began this interview by saying, you know, this is kind of the heart of secular humanism. It is. These people are atheistic to their cores. This is kind of post conversation about whether or not God exists. These are people who just kind of assume He doesn't. And these people and normal people, when they look at a problem like, say, uh, world hunger, normal people would say, you know what? We need to feed these people. We need to be more efficient at food, uh, at growing food and distributing it. We need to help these people. Um, you know, in, in their circumstances to improve um, their circumstances so they can feed themselves. The globalists look at it and say, you know what? We need fewer people. So you, th- these, are, these are people who have a level of, of um, moral uh, degeneracy in terms of their thinking that's quite astonishing the way they're processing these questions. And so, you know, we're talking about individuals like Bill Gates didn't attend this year, but an individual like a Bill Gates who figures that by virtue of the fact that he's a billionaire, he has a right to declare on immunology. He's not an immunologist. He has a right to declare definitively on, on climate change. He's, he's not a climatologist. Uh, he he's he is sure that he has a right to declare to the rest of the world how they should and will live, but he doesn't want to live by the rules that he would impose on the rest of you. And why I think this is so, and this is Klaus Schwab, this is, this is the World Economic Forum, this is who these people are in their DNA. And what I want people to understand about this, why, why would I attend this? Why would I, I feel the need to go there? Because we have been tracking atheism for 15 years now, 16 years. We started by taking on Richard Dawkins and Daniel Dennett and Christopher Hitchens and uh, Sam Harris, the so-called four horsemen of the counter-apocalypse. We started taking on those guys in 06, 07, and, uh, and we felt the need to do so because at, this, at that time, much of the stuff we're seeing finding its way into policy was then at high-level academic discussions, the kind of stuff that people would say to us, Larry, you know, why are you bothering me? He's just a bunch of pointy-headed intellectuals. Who cares what they think? And we would say, we would push back on that and say, you don't understand. This is coming for you. So we, we tracked that atheism the way a hunter might stalk his prey. We tracked it from high-level academic discussions through Hollywood into public schools, uh, into, you know, just ordinary, you know, collegiate curriculums until now we are seeing it in global policy and government initiatives. We're seeing it in a very, very big way. It's what's driving parenthood, the push for kind of a global planned parenthood. It's what we're seeing driving, you know, the vaccine mandates and so on. This ideology sits behind all of that. And then we don't have sufficient time to break all that down in this interview, but perhaps we'll do it on a later show. So uh, when you're talking to these people, do they ever ask you what you do? You know, for the most part, people don't. And if you think about it, Matt, um, they usually don't because they're just, you know, they're just not interested in you. They, they want to tell you about them. And if you can imagine being at 
this isn't like being at a corporate Christmas party. This is, this is worse. This is, this is, <laughs> this is being at, at a gathering of people who all see themselves as masters of the universe. They're quite certain they're better than the, the average man, the, the, the little people of the world. And yet they, many, most of them recognize that they're not famous, you know, so they want to tell you what famous person they're attached to because they all are in some way or another or why they are there um, as an attendee. And, and I have to point this out. One of the, one of the, the really disturbing things that I saw when I was at the WEF that you can't get from being online. So again, much of the news conference coverage was focusing on what was being said in the big, you know, the big presentations. So, you know, somebody sitting at home, keeping up with the world economic forum by watching online presentations would have a better idea of what was taking place than I did. So I was down in the minutia of, you know, conversations with attendees and poking around the city and watching the motorcades come and go and, you know, really getting a feel for it all. Well, one of the things that I thought was very interesting was the number of youth who were there. You see, the World Economic Forum, I discovered they have started the WEYF, the World Economic Youth Forum. So you see all these young people walking around, you know, with their their WEF swag, I saw some, you know, wearing hats that said, you know, silly things like global citizen. Now that would be that would be laughable. If I were to see that out on on the street in Birmingham, Alabama, I would have a hard time, you know, maintaining a straight face. But here, here, um, or rather there at, 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 in, in Davos at the World Economic Forum, you realize that this is the propaganda they're selling all of these kids. You see, what they're doing is they're preying on their youthful idealism. The the people I would sit around and talk with at the coffee shop or elsewhere who are older, they don't buy into that nonsense. They they don't they don't think that. They're not carrying the swag. They're not wearing the global citizen hats. But the kids are. And it's because the kids are idealistic. They buy into all of this. And see what they don't realize is that they're their their masters, that is the people who are engineering all of this at a higher level with the with the WEF, they're they're making cynical use of young people the way revolutionaries of this type have throughout time. It's it's what Marx would do, it's what Mao would do, it's what Stalin would do, it's what Hitler would do, where you you turn young people into the vanguard of your movement. They're the shock troops. They're the, the ones throw they're, they're, they're the ones who fill the ranks of Antifa and Black Lives Matter. You see, they're the ones who think have been sold the idea that they're making a better world. when of course they're not. And some may be listening and going, well, why, why do you think it's laughable to wear a hat that says global citizen? Because I've been, I've been all over the world and that kind of nonsense what flies nowhere other than some Western liberal university, some leftist university. You try wearing that in, you know, in Africa, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll chuckle as they hang you up by your toes. I mean, <laughs> a global citizen, I mean, who do you think you are? What is, what does this mean? But this is what the WEF is. This is what they do. So by me showing up and being there, I was able to see what was actually taking place 
that I'm going, Ooh, whoa, this is not something that, that I was getting on TV. This is not something I'm getting on, you know, in news reports. This is not which again, focus on, on the bigger sessions. Also there, there are a bunch of lesser sessions, breakout sessions. And one of my more interesting conversations was with a young, um, AI developer, artificial intelligence developer who was there as a presenter. And he was telling me what their goals are with artificial intelligence. And again, we won't break all that down in this interview, but let me say that it's terrifying the stuff that they have in mind for artificial intelligence. I'll leave you with this on, on that score. He said to me in three to five years, artificial intelligence will be completely out of control. He says 90% of the, uh, the internet will be artificial intelligence and you won't be able to tell the difference. You won't know whether or not you're communicating with a real human being or whether or not you're communicating with a bot. That's where it's going. And, uh, the, the, um, um, if you want to call it, uh, the automation of police forces of armies that we will be, we're moving towards, you know, just as drones have been used, you know, in warfare for, you know, uh, a few decades now, uh, we're, we're moving that to, um, to ground level. We'll, where real human beings won't be on the front. It'll, it'll be fought, uh, out, um, you know, you know, by some guy sitting in a, in a chair in DC or Flagstaff, Arizona, or in Beijing or in Moscow. That's where this is going. And this, uh, this AI developer, you know, said to me when, again, he started out with all of the, the WEF, you know, nonsense, how, how wonderful it was to see the interconnectedness of things, the, you know, the, the growth of a global community, da, da, da. And I said, Hey, just again, same thing. I said, let me just play devil's advocate. How do you know that these world leaders, this organization that you're supplying, which he told me was with world, excuse me, with artificial intelligence, with AI, how do you know they won't misuse it? And he kind of leaned in, looked around and said, they already are. They already are. And they went on to explain how they're doing it. And he says, there's no breaks on this stuff. And he says, and it's terrifying because I'm watching the development of, these are my words, not his. Um, I don't remember what he called it, but I'll just call it a warrior robot. He said, I'm watching them develop a warrior robot that is designed to hunt human beings. And I said, what do you mean it hunts human beings? He said, what I mean is it's programmed in those whether or not it's a dog that's moving or a cat that's moving or a bird that's flying, it is taught to track human beings. And he says, well, let me tell you, when this thing hunts you, it kills. It never misses, ever. Well, he's, he's, telling, he's, he's saying this is just the, the, the tip of the proverbial iceberg, that, that what's coming is, you know, is infinitely worse than this, or is what he was really hitting, hinting at in this conversation. But again, these are the kinds of conversations that, that are taking place. I don't think he says half of this on stage. This is what he's telling me, you know, off stage, you know, and, uh, you know, over, over coffee where no one else is, is listening. My, so this is what the world economic forum is. And this is why I decided to attend. And then from there I went to Ukraine, but we'll, uh, excuse me, I went to, um, to Poland to, uh, to take a gander at the, uh, the, Ukrainian war refugee situation, but we can discuss that another time. Okay, I, I do have one follow-up question. If all right, okay, you've got you've got 
heads of states there. You have their entourage there with them. You have CEOs with their entourages. And you have a whole bunch of media people, obviously, there. Are there people that just buy a ticket to go to this thing that aren't given a ticket, you know, that are kid tickets, you know, that are, I'm sure, reduced? Because what's the, um, reg- what's the registration know, fee for this thing if you were to actually buy a ticket? Well, a registration fee, um, I saw prices that range from, I think, 26000 to about 50000 to attend. So you do have just, you know, regular people. Like I'm talking to a woman who's from Atlanta and, you know, somebody from Massachusetts and so on who are attending this, but they're, they're all drinking the Kool-Aid. They think Jim Jones is wonderful. You see, um, and those aren't people that I, you know, and, and to be clear, I didn't push back hard against anybody because I really didn't want the question. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) So, I just kind of pretended to be one of them and just, you know, just simply ask questions. So tell me, you know, who are you? Why are you here? What you, what you doing? Ah, yeah. So you're talking about that. Tell me about it. You know, that's by and large what I did. And I pushed just enough to get some, you know, some interesting responses, but, but I didn't, I wasn't there to debate people about their ideology. I wasn't there to, you know, to evangelize that's, uh, or, or really to do apologetics per se. I was there to gather information so that I could in the end do both. But, um, I was there to observe, to, um, to, to watch what was, uh, was taking place and to have conversations where those conversations, you know, were, were available. And, uh, and it was fascinating because I ended up having uh, a number of, doing a number of, of interviews. Steve Bannon, for instance, wanted me to do an interview from the, uh, from the WEF, um, his war room, uh, his show, which is, you know, massively popular. And, uh, and I, I had a very interesting conversation with him on this, this very score because, you know, he knows some of these people and he knows he, he shares my concern for what the world economic forum is and where this is headed. But again, this is something I'm going to be focusing on for quite some time. And in the, in fact, I'm here to write a book on the World Economic Forum, and it gives me quick and easy access to Davos post-conference. you know, conference. So that's the plan, and um, I really appreciate all the people back home you know, who listen uh, to this show, who pray um, for our work, um, who supply us to make it possible for me to do the things that I'm, I'm doing here. So we, we very strongly uh, need your support and hope you'll get behind us and uh, help push me forward and continue this fight. Because I'm telling you, I, I'm, I'm not joking when I, when I say this. I'm not exaggerating. I think this is a fight of our, of, of our generation. And uh, if the globalists win, freedom as we know it will come to an end. There's just absolutely no question. And most people just haven't any idea what this is. I mean, this is like, this is a new kind of fascism and uh, that's on the rise. And most people buy into it because it sounds so good. I mean, it's all about, you know, it's all about, I mean, even the name of the, excuse me, the slogan for this year's gathering was something like finding unity in a fragmented world. You know, I mean, it just sounds so do-gooder, doesn't it? Yeah. Sounds so innocuous, so harmless. I assure you, these people are not harmless, though they think they are. And see, and this is part of what makes them that much more dangerous. I mean, I think, I don't think Genghis Khan, you know, really had any illusions about whether or not he's a good person. I, th- I think he was quite open about the fact that he was a, a pretty awful human being. 
<laughs> um, many of um, the world's tyrants are. But the very worst ones are the ones who are sure that what they do is for the good of humanity. And these people are absolutely drunk with that belief. Okay, well, that's a good place to end, I think, today, Larry. Uh, it's been nice talking to you. Uh, we've texted a little bit back and forth, but obviously you being out of the country, we're not doing shows in Birmingham right now. So it was nice to, no, to get and, uh, updated. Yeah, well, thank you, Matt. And I appreciate you filling in today and giving me someone to, uh, you know, to bounce these ideas off of and uh, to talk with about this, because I know that's not your, your comfort zone. But uh, I'm glad we we're able to have this conversation. And let's get this out to, uh, to our folks out there. You take care. Turn out the lights, the party's over, they say that all. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful for the standing ovation, but there will be no encore for today's performance. Please exit the building in an orderly fashion. Thank you. Honey, can we leave now?